You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah Magaro George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, San Antonio Spurs fans? This is the debut episode of the Alamo City Limits podcast, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the state of the Spurs a day before the NBA draft lottery. And I've got a very special guest, Ricky O'Donnell, basketball editor at SB Nation. How are you doing today, Ricky? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining me. I, it's been a while since I've talked about Spurs basketball on a podcast, and this is going to be really fun. I'm really excited about this, so let's just hop into it. So the San Antonio Spurs this season, you know, 33-39, they lost to Memphis Grizzlies in the first round of the play-in tournament. They missed out on playoffs for the first time in consecutive seasons in franchise history. What do you think kind of went wrong for head coach Greg Popovich and company this season, and what do you think are some of the areas that they need to improve in heading into next season? Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at the Spurs, I think just more than anything else, they need more talent on that roster. And as we change this conversation or transition this conversation into the draft and things like that, when I look at the Spurs, like they don't need any specific area in terms of like drafting for need. They just really need the best overall player. So I think if you're looking at the roster, a few things jump out. First is there's just not any shooting on this team. Uh, I believe they were dead last in the league in three-point rate, which is percentage of field goals a team takes from behind the arc. Uh, They have some decent shooters on the team, Patty Mills, Lonnie Walker, but really they're missing the volume. And it's so funny to see the Spurs over the last three, four years post-Kawhi sort of transition into this team that, uh, you know, before it was the ball movement, the shooting, the spacing, those were the qualities that define the Spurs' best teams. And now they've sort of gone the other way where they take a ton of mid-range shots. Uh, they're not a team that's you know known for great spacing or great perimeter shooting. So uh, the lack of shooting, I think, you're immediately playing behind the eight ball when you just don't take that many three-pointers. And you know it's easy to focus on the percentages, but really the volume in a sense is just as important as the percentage. So when I look at the Spurs roster, first thing that jumps out is a noticeable lack of shooting. Uh, secondly, I think, you know, until if you're a team that isn't, you know, a contending team, the big piece you're always missing is sort of the offensive initiator, the guy you could give the ball to in his hands, let him run the offense. Uh, even if it's not going to be like a Harden or Luca level guy, who's going to control the ball on every possession, you still sort of need that lead guy who can drive offense, can be your engine. Uh, and the Spurs just don't totally have that. I think that, you know, DeRozan has done a pretty remarkable job over his last couple of years in San Antonio, totally remaking his game, becoming more of a point guard, posting a career high, I believe, this year in assist rate. Uh, obviously, he's a free agent. I'm sure that you'll have lots of thoughts on what's going to happen with DeRozan <laughs> in the future of the team. But, uh, you know, they need an upgrade there. And I think that, you know, DeJounte Murray obviously was slowed a little bit earlier in his career by injuries. He had a solid season this past year. Uh, but you know, he, I don't think by any means he looks like a future superstar. So, uh, just trying to get some sort of, you know, higher level offense. I see DeJounte had a 51% true shooting percentage. Like you need someone who can threaten the defense with their own scoring ability a little bit more to set up their teammates and to leverage that scoring to set up their teammates. So, you know, you could also look at, I think backup center is going to be a big issue on the team as well. Now, obviously, uh, 
you don't usually want to put a lot of resources into a spot like backup center. That's a spot where you could usually find someone on the margins who can outperform their contract, be it a minimum contract or like a later draft spot. So yeah, these are all things for the Spurs to talk or to think about heading into the off season. But I think more than anything else, it's just about adding talent and high end talent to the roster. Yeah. I mean, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head there. And I think one of the things you also talked about was the lack of three point shooting. Not only were they last in attempts this year, they were last in makes and they were also 25th in, in three-point percentage. So really, they need volume three-point shooters, I think. And and I'm not really sure where this team is going, and I don't know if you feel the same way. It kind of feels like they're in flux. And I think as long as Popovich is here, they're going to try their best to make the playoffs. Now, I have thoughts about that, obviously. I don't know if that's necessarily the direction you want to be going in when you don't have, you know, sort of the guy. And I know a lot of Spurs fans don't agree with me that, you know, DeJounte isn't the guy or Keldon isn't the guy, but... I think we've got a good enough sample size that we can say that every single guy who they have right now is not going to be an all-star. Like, I think there are a lot of people who, who look at the Spurs team just from a fan perspective and go, well, you know, they, they drafted Tony, they drafted Manu. Um, why, why can't someone else be an all-star? And I don't think it's that someone they drafted in, in recent years can't be an all-star, but the likelihood that all six of the guys they've drafted in the first round over the last five years are going to be all-stars is pretty much slim to none. And I think you're, you're absolutely right about adding a top in talent. And, and I do want to give DeRozan props before we talk about DeRozan, because I would like to talk about DeMar DeRozan for a bit, because they have a lot of decisions to make this offseason, right? DeMar is off the books. Patty's off the books. Rudy, Trey, Gorgie Jing, Keita Bates' job, Kendary Weatherspoon, all those guys are hitting free agency this offseason. And I'm not really 100% sure how many of those guys are coming back. When you look at those guys, I think some of them are still very serviceable NBA players. I think they can help a team, but I'm not sure that they can help this Spurs team um, for, for where they're trying to go, right? Like we saw Trey Lyles. I think he could probably contribute to another team, but I don't think he makes a lot of sense for this Spurs team. I like Patty a lot. He's been here. He's sort of been the rock of the locker room. He has the corporate knowledge. He's been here for, I think, eight or nine seasons now. I'd love to see him come back but play less minutes. I think he really, that, that schedule, the 40 games in 68 days was brutal for him. He had four days off during that whole span. And I kept wondering like, when are they going to give him consecutive days off? This guy looks exhausted. He just, he shot awful towards the second half of the season. And I just don't know who they're bringing back. So if you look at all those guys, are there any of those guys who you would definitively bring back if you were in the Spurs front office to a team, you know, that they're going to be trying to build next year? Yeah, I think Patty would be a good guy to bring back. I think obviously you're not paying him 13 million in his next contract. <laughs> uh, you know, Rudy Gay, interesting. Of course, he's not going to be making 14 in his next contract, but he's someone who could sort of be a veteran presence. I think, like you said, if they are going to try to win, as long as Popovich is the head coach. Uh, DeRozan's really interesting. So I'm based in Chicago, lifelong Bulls fan, and I run a Bulls podcast too called Cash Considerations. And we've been talking about DeRozan as a possible ad for the Bulls because the Bulls need creation. They need, you know, someone to drive the offense a little bit next to Zach Levine. And we're wondering maybe DeRozan would be a good fit for the Bulls. Uh, I have some friends who are Knicks fans and they think, you know, maybe DeRozan could be a stabilizing force there for the Knicks. So I think DeMar is going to get paid this summer. I don't know if, if, you know, bringing him back is really going to move the needle much for the Spurs. Like, I'm sure you would feel better right now if the Spurs were in position to land Evan Mobley or Cade Cunningham <laughs> yeah. in the draft instead of uh, being 12. 
And, you know, it is a risky proposition too, because I think, you know, in particular this draft, it really falls off after the fourth pick. So you can be the worst team in the league, still end up with the fifth pick. And now you're like, well, damn, we don't have any easy options here for a future star, a future building block. So obviously it's risky. I do totally agree with your assessment that the Spurs are going to continue to try to win as many games as possible, as long as Popovich is the head coach. Uh, And I, I don't know. I think that, it's probably likely that DeMar goes to another team. That's kind of just my, my outside opinion. I, what, what do you hear around the organization and around people that you talk to about their interest level in bringing Duros and back? So, you know, from, from what I can gather is the, the Spurs are really just close to the vest about everything, right? They keep everything pretty much on lock. It's hard to get much out of anyone. Now, you know, the, people have been asking DeMar DeRozan, for the last two years, you know, what are your free agency plans? Do you want to come back to San Antonio? And he just constantly says, you know, uh, I'm not thinking about free agency. I'm thinking about this season. I'm not thinking about my future. I'm thinking about right now. So it's hard to gauge what he wants to do. Now, a report came out in the middle of this season saying he was going to take an open approach to free agency. And, and that kind of had me feeling like he's thinking it might be best for him to go elsewhere because I don't really see all that many benefits to staying in San Antonio. Maybe you you know, you can get uh, a lot of money from, from staying here, but you can also get a lot of money from going elsewhere and you might have an opportunity to, to compete for, for a title somewhere else. And I think it's really important. I think there's a narrative around DeMar DeRozan that he's sort of a, a choker in the playoffs. And I think to a certain extent that is unfair because you look at him and like you said, he's kind of been used as a pseudo engine of an offense, sort of that number one guy. And I don't think, I don't think that's the best role for him. Right. Like, I think he probably would be better suited being a second, third option next to someone who's actually like a a superstar. And so I think for uh, DeMar DeRozan, that's unfair. You know, a lot of Spurs fans want him out because they think, oh, well, he's just he's just not worth it. And I think I I, I don't necessarily want the Spurs to resign him because I do think if he's the best player on your team, you're not going to get into the top of the lottery. But you're also not going to get to the to where you want to be in terms of contention. Right. So. It's sort of a double-edged sword there, but I don't think he's a bad player by any means. I definitely want to make that clear. I think he's fantastic. I think he would be better suited somewhere else, and I do think Chicago would be an interesting landing spot for him, but I'm just looking at some of his numbers, like 6.9 assists per game, 11th in the NBA this season, a career high, and he only committed two turnovers per game. I thought he was pretty fantastic there. Um, he finished fourth and three pointers assisted, even though the Spurs were bottom of the league and three point makes. And I thought that was pretty incredible by him, just his ability to get into the teeth of the defense and find somebody by kicking it out. Uh, I thought he was really fantastic at that, but at the same time, I'm not really sure that's what the Spurs want to keep doing. Just kind of kicking the wheels with DeMar DeRozan. I think at a certain point you got to pick a direction, right? You, you have to pick a direction. Otherwise and, and I say this in the nicest way possible. I have nothing against the Orlando Magic, but you end up being the Orlando Magic with Nikola Vucevic, right? For like three or four years, you're the seventh seed, you're the eighth seed, and you lose in the first round. And I'm just not really sure that's what you want to be doing. And, and I know that as long as Pop is here, they're going to try to win as many games, but I'm not sure that's what's necessarily best for the Spurs long-term because we have a lot of those guys like DeJounte Murray. I think he's good, but he's not, I don't think he's the guy. I like Keldon, but I think he's probably just a starter. I like Lonnie. I think he's probably just a sixth man scorer at his best. Um, I just don't know who they have who's going to be the guy. So I do think it's really important for them to find that. And, and, and we'll go ahead and move into the next topic. We'll talk about the draft because the draft lottery is on Tuesday, and this will be coming out Monday. So I think it's appropriate we talk about the draft a little bit. 
like you said, they have the 12th best odds right now after losing that coin flip with the Hornets, right? Who is a guy who, and I saw that you actually mocked Corey Kispert to the Spurs in the last mock that you wrote for SB Nation, but who are some guys who you also like in that range for the Spurs? And, and what, are, what are some of the reasons you like Kispert for the Spurs at 12? Yeah, so just to give you a little peek behind the curtain, I'm writing another mock draft that's going to be released right after the lottery. So I'm basically, I pre-wrote the blurb for all the players, and then I'll just fill in some of the teams, fill in the order. And uh, the Spurs are 12th. So I actually locked in the teams at 10 and after. So if the Spurs actually do end up jumping into the top four, it's going to give me some more work to do. But I mean, (laughs) congratulations to the Spurs if that happens. They really could use that type of luck, as could every single team in the lottery. The Bulls uh, are another team where they have the eighth best lads in the lottery. If they don't land top four, they're sending that pick to Orlando in the Vucevic trade. So, uh, you know, there's a lot at stake in this lottery. You could look at the Rockets, lose their pick if they fall to five. Uh, there's a lot at stake in this lottery, no doubt for every team Spurs are no different. So when I was looking at the Spurs, my thought was that they need best available player. I guess in the first one, I gave him Kispert because Kispert is typically projected to go around that area of the draft. The Spurs very obviously need shooting and he could be an easy fill for shooting. Now, if I was making that pick for the San Antonio Spurs, I would take a bit of a higher swing on someone. To me, taking Kispert would be drafting for need. And as you mentioned, is you know the Spurs, I fully agree with you, that they do need to pick a direction. That direction is most likely tear it down, rebuild, but they're not going to do that with Popovich. So now you kind of got to wait out however many years it's going to be until Popovich finally decides to retire. It's not like you can force him into retirement. He's a legend, arguably the greatest coach of all time in the NBA or one of them. He's in the class picture, at least. Absolutely. Uh, And so the Spurs are just sort of in a tough situation heading into this draft. And I know we're talking about draft now, but before we get into the draft real quick, I want to ask your opinion on Derek White. Because I know he had injury issues this year. And to me, Derek White is probably the best player on the team. He's the guy who has the most upside. I could see Derek White being an all-star. And then we'll get into the draft. But I'm just sort of curious, you know, as I think about players who could land in San Antonio, what is the ideal role for Derek White? Should Derek White get more on-ball reps? Should Derek White's volume be juiced like should they really juice his efficiency and try to make him the guy or do you think he's more built for a complimentary role uh we'll get into the draft but i'm just curious what you think of Derek white before before that yeah so it's it's interesting i've always really liked Derek white my mom actually went to see you boulder um so i've been a big fan of Derek white since he was there i was ecstatic when they got him at uh 29 about i think three years ago uh, but but with Derek White, it's interesting because I feel like he's almost never healthy and, and maybe he will be healthy next season. But every year he's been here, with the exception of his rookie year where he spent most of it in Austin, he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. And to me, that's a little bit worrisome. He is going to be 27 here soon. So I'm not sure what you do with him, but he did look really good in the bubble. And granted, that was a very, very small sample size. He got injured in the bubble through six games. He was 20 points per game, five assists, five rebounds and about 42% from three on eight attempts per game. Now, I I see a lot of people look at that and they go, well, that's the sign that we needed to know that 
Derek White should be the guy going forward. And to me, it, it is a small sample size. I'm not willing to say that right off the bat, but I do think there's really nothing to lose if you go ahead, if you lose DeMar DeRozan and you say, okay, well, you know, let's see what Derek White can do because I, you know, assuming he's healthy next season, I think that would be a really interesting experiment just to see how it goes. Cause if it goes well, then, you know, okay, well you have someone who's potentially worth building around or keeping around when you, when you start rebuilding, but if it doesn't end up working out, you can kind of decide, okay, well, maybe we need to maximize him in, in some sort of trade package. Not that the Spurs really trade that often, but I think, I think he's a really solid player, obviously on the defensive end, he's one of the top shot blockers for guards in the NBA. He's a great on-ball defender. And then he was number one in points per possession and pick and roll a, a year ago. So not last season, but the, the previous season. So I think he can run an offense to a certain extent, but I'm just not sure. And that's kind of my feeling with a lot of these young guys. Like before we move on again, I'll ask you, you know, they have sort of a core right now that consists of Derek White, DeJounte Murray, Keldon Johnson, Lonnie Walker, and you can throw in Devin Vassell and Luka Shamanic, right? Are there any guys when you look at that who you think they have a high enough upside to potentially be worth building around? Personally, I really like Devin Vassell, but he, he showed me flashes of some self-creation potential of being an outstanding um, team defender off ball. But I don't know. I just don't know if any of those guys can be someone who you build a team around. Love the sell. He was one of my favorites in the last draft. He's not going to be a high usage guy. And what the Spurs need is someone who could soak up that usage, I think, that DeRozan potentially is going to leave on the table. I love this idea of just give it to Derek White. Give Derek White the ball. And if he can't handle it, maybe Pop retires. And then you just trade everyone and rebuild. Tank towards the bottom of the standings. Uh, So I love that idea. Yeah, let's see what they got in Derek White. And, you know, Vassell, to me, just keep him around. I think that Vassell is the type of guy who he's going to be so much more valuable to a good team than a team that kind of stinks. And if you could put Vassell in a role similar to Michael Bridges, where he could play off a couple stars, he could fill in the gaps. I think that he could be really good. Now we're sitting here and everyone loves Michael Bridges, right? Doesn't Michael Bridges have like a 15% usage rate and he's going to get God knows how much money in his next contract. Michael Bridges is awesome. Loved him in the draft. Love him as a player. I've interviewed him multiple times. Hilarious guy. <laughs> but you know, the context is so important there. If Michael Bridges was on the Spurs, you'd be like, well, Michael Bridges isn't good enough because he's not able to drive the offense. And so that's kind of similar to what's, you know, happening with Vassell, possibly. Obviously, he's only played one year. So to me, the guys who could scale up the best are Lonnie and Derek White. And, uh, you know, I guess as I transition this to the draft, what I would be looking at if I'm the Spurs, and yes, I did give him Kispert, that would be a need-based pick. I could see the Spurs making that pick because they need shooting. Popovich wants to win. Get him the shooter, get him the senior who could come in and contribute right away. You could see the line of thinking that would lead the Spurs to selecting Corey Kispert number 12 overall in the draft. If it was me, I would say this team needs a lottery ticket. It needs a shot at a player who could be really good. And if he ends up that he stinks and then he flames out of the league, well, are you really in that much worse of a position? Then if Corey Kispert turns into what Doug McDermott has turned into in Indiana, or, you know, I guess Joe Harris would be the more optimistic comp. Well, now yeah. <laughs> Joe Harris was just absolutely brutal in the playoffs. 
So now are you like, do I even want Joe Harris? But uh, Kispert's a good player. Kispert is a guy who would be a need-based pick. So when I was assessing who the Pelicans, or I'm sorry, I was just looking at the Pelicans as I go through my mind, who the Spurs could select here. So I had Scotty Barnes off the board. I think Scotty Barnes would be awesome for the Spurs, but he's not going to be on the board. Uh, And really the Spurs, you can only jump up into the top four. And to me, Barnes would start at the fifth pick if you were like so thinking on where you're going to take him. So Barnes off the board. Then Jalen Johnson, I think he'd be really good for the Spurs too because he's got some high upside, a little bit positionless. He's going to be off the board. Keon Johnson, he could be on the board at 12. He's not one of my favorites. Uh, you could talk to another draft analyst who will tell you Keon Johnson's the fifth best player in this draft. I would be a little bit more on the lukewarm side of Keon Johnson. Obviously, he has phenomenal athletic traits. I think that his growth curve is really encouraging, given that he was a baseball player up until like his freshman year of high school. So he hasn't been playing the sport that long. Uh, you know, that's a high upside lottery ticket if Keon Johnson is on the board in number 12 overall. So I think that could be a possibility. I had him uh, off the board. Franz Wagner, I like Franz. Probably wouldn't take Franz if I'm the Spurs because this he's not a guy who's going to be a high usage guy. And I think the Spurs need a high usage guy. Then James Boaknight. I have Boaknight going 10th to uh, the New Orleans Pelicans. There was a great piece by Mark Schindler on Indy Cornrows yeah. on uh, Boaknight. So listeners, go check that out. Go to IndyCornrows.com, the SB Nation Pacers site. You can find it on the front page. Boaknight is interesting because he's a, he's a bucket getter. Uh, he can't really run, pick, and roll. He can't really drive offense. He's very much an off-ball guy. Mark compared him in the piece to, like, Rip Hamilton during Rip Hamilton's heyday, if your listeners are old enough to remember <laughs> Rip Hamilton. Uh, and I think that could be a decent fit, but I would want someone who would drive offense. So I had Boke Knight off the board anyway. The 11th pick, I had one of my personal favorite guys in this draft, Moses Moody. Moses Moody, not really a great fit for the Spurs because Moses Moody, similar to Devin Vassell, is going to be a low usage, fill in the gaps, three and D guy. I know we don't like that label, but that's kind of the idea that you're going for with him. So the Spurs are 12, and those are the guys I had off the board. So I'm sitting here in the Spurs were the team I had the most difficult time picking a player for. (laughs) I deleted three or four different guys at this pick to see who I was going to give them. I thought about Davion Mitchell. I think Davion Mitchell obviously uh, played his college ball at Baylor. Amazing year. Benefited himself more than any other player in March Madness. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? He was a guy who was sort of seen as a late round pick, late first round pick, I'm sorry. Now he's, you know, potential top 10 pick. He's the smallest and the oldest player in the draft. Is that a good combination? It could be good for the Spurs if they want to win right away. I think that he is a lightning fast first step, uh, just top end speed, blazing speed. Uh, his shooting improvement is really what's fueled his rise up draft boards. He went from like a, I don't know. I don't have it off the top of my head, but I think it was like a 30% three-point shooter to like a 45% three-point shooter on high volume. But he also made like 62% from the foul line. Again, this is off the top of my head, but it's somewhere around there. So can you count on that shooting improvement to be real? I don't know. I think that a lot of draft analysts are like, stay away from Davion Mitchell. That's not a guy you want to draft. 
I could actually see the scenario where Davion Mitchell turns out to be pretty damn good in the NBA because he's the type of guy who can force the defense to rotate. He can get past his man. He can get two feet into the paint. He is small. And the age thing, I sort of feel like it could go either way. Like Damian Lillard was an old rookie. Jimmy Butler was an old rookie. When the Bulls drafted Taj Gibson in 2009, I was so (laughs) pissed. I'm like, this guy's older than Tyrus Thomas. But Taj Gibson turned out to be awesome. So I don't think that age, while, you know, the nerds who cover the draft like myself, really get infatuated with age and development curve. There's a flip side to it, too. And I think Davion Mitchell would be a good pick, potentially, for the Spurs. I didn't give him Davion Mitchell, but he was someone I considered. Uh, Josh Giddy was someone I considered. 6'8 point guard from Australia. <laughs> someone said that, I'm in a group DM, that he plays basketball like an actor playing basketball. He's like the least <laughs> physical presence on the court you'll ever see. He has no strength. He has no explosive athleticism. Immaculate IQ. I mean, this guy thinks the game three steps ahead. I'm doing a big feature on him that'll hopefully drop in the next couple of weeks. I haven't even transcribed the quotes yet. So got to do that. But talk to Josh Giddy a couple of weeks ago. He FaceTimed me from Australia. Uh, I think Giddy could be a good pick. Uh, could he turn into a high usage guy? I think the big question is, will he threaten the defense enough with his scoring to really leverage his unique passing and playmaking gifts? I thought about giving the Spurs Josh Giddy, but I didn't give him Josh Giddy. Kai Jones was another guy I thought about. One of my favorites in this draft. I love I Kai I like him Jones. as well. Yeah, I like Kai Jones quite a bit. Kai Jones didn't even start this year. He started, I don't know, yeah. four games or something. Came off the bench for Texas. Late bloomer. Kai Jones's flashes are like, oh, I'm trying not to swear here. Oh, my God. <laughs> this guy. Holy hell. This guy's flashes are unbelievable. 6'11", super fluid athletically, really quick laterally, and a great vertical leaper. So he's someone who early in his career, he can be, you know, the the lob target, I think. I think he can absolutely develop a three-point stroke. He had a pretty good percentage, but it was on very low volume. And he can beat guys on the closeout by putting the ball on the floor, making a couple moves. Defensively, uh, I don't really know if you can look at him as an anchor of the defense because there's and there's such a steep learning curve for rookie big men who are like anchoring a defense too. Pirtle is pretty good in that Pirtle's become pretty good. I think, I don't know what your thoughts on Pirtle are, but like they could use a higher upside option who could also give them some shooting from the five spot. Kai Jones to me might be the pick that would be a gamble. It'd be a lottery ticket. And I don't know if he's, you know, you know, maybe he turns into like a Christian Wood type. That would be, you know, a, a pretty good outcome for him. Obviously, he's not going to be your super high usage guy. I don't think he has the passing ability to be that guy. So in a perfect world, he's probably your number two long term. If he really hits his development, becomes a top 40 player in the NBA. This is a massive projection. But Kai Jones, I truly believe, has that type of talent. I didn't give him Kai Jones, but that might be the best pick for him. I'm now convincing myself on Kai Jones. And then the last guy was Zaire Williams, Stanford wing, another lottery ticket type guy. I saw him in the EYBL, which is the Nike AAU league. I'm like, this is going to be my dude. Six foot nine, silky wing, can shoot it off the bounce, can shoot it off the catch. His problem is he can't dribble at all. 
And he is so physically weak that he can't play through any form of contact. I think you get him in the G League system for a couple of years. Spurs typically known for a good G League system, right? And then maybe when Pop retires, he can be a guy who can help you. I didn't give him him either. So this is a very long-winded way of me finally getting to my pick for the Spurs, which I went back and forth on. I gave him Jaden Springer, a guard from Tennessee who's typically projected to go outside of the lottery. Uh, So, you know, I've just covering the draft. I also cover college basketball recruiting, and those are the same guys that go through the pipeline. Top recruits become the top draft picks, go into the NBA. Springer's been on my radar for a long time. He played at IMG Academy. He's a six foot three guard who's known for his strength. He shot the ball incredibly well this year at Tennessee. I think it was like 45% from three. That was a huge question mark coming into the season, but low value. He didn't take a lot of threes. I think his shooting ability continues to be a major question mark. What I like about Springer is he's just a bully. He's not big. He's not the greatest athlete but it's tough to rip him when he gets the ball. He can get to his spots with strength and he's, you know, he just has a way of just hitting like little pull-ups and stuff. Now his field goal percentage, I believe was really bad on short mid-range shots. So he's got to learn more tricks of scoring around the basket. Uh, But to me, he's a guy who you can juice his usage. Now I think that his situation in Tennessee it was very similar to the situation the Spurs have in that they didn't shoot any threes. He played in no spacing. It was not an environment conducive to him becoming a lottery pick. And if you look at the draft express mocks right now, they have him like going in the twenties, just like Tyrese Maxey, right? Tyrese Maxey was a guy who I thought, you know, deserved to be a late lottery pick last year, ended up going in the twenties. I think that'll be a good pick for the Sixers. He already had a great playoff game. Maxey looks good. Springer, not, I mean, as players, they're not super similar, but just the the situation is similar in that they're smaller guards who were highly touted recruits whose year in college sort of diminished their draft stock. So if you want to take a swing, I think Mitchell would be a decent bet. I bet a lot of draft analysts would hate the idea of drafting Davion Mitchell 12th. I don't know. I think it could work out. If he can shoot, he's super, super fast. And I can see, I mean, worst case scenario, what if he becomes a Patty Mills type? Can just be on the bench for 10 years, be a good player. But so I think in potentially he could be better than that. I would consider Mitchell. I would consider Kai Jones and I would consider Jaden Springer. So that was my thought process going through it. I gave him Springer. Uh, You could convince me on either of the other guys, but I think more than anything, Spurs need... They need someone who has the potential to be an all-star, to, to be a superstar. Yeah. And I don't no, know if Springer is yeah. going to be that early in his career. Kyle Lowry wasn't that early in his career either. He needed to bounce around a couple places until he found a home. So, I don't know. Tough spot for the Spurs. I gave him Springer. I think they'll have some decent options on the board. It's too bad they can't get Scotty Barnes. I think Barnes would be a great fit for them. But, uh, yeah, hopefully the Spurs jump in the top four. Otherwise... I like Kai. I like Davion. I like Springer. Okay. And, and we'll talk about the top four in a second. I want to talk about Kai Jones again, because I think when I, when I look at all the other guys that are available, right? Like the Spurs are already pretty guard slash wing heavy. 
And I just don't know that they're going, and they may, they may very well, you know, draft a guy who they think can come in right away and move someone. But just in, in my experience covering this team, they don't make a lot of moves, right? They, they don't trade a lot of guys. So I can't see them moving on from Lonnie Walker. Um, I'm almost guaranteed he will get an extension this off season. There's not going to be uh, like, like, like Derek white did the, the season before and DeJounte the season before him. Um, I don't think they're going to move on from DeJounte Murray. I don't think they're going to move on from Keldon Johnson or even a guy like Trey Jones. Now, Kendary Weatherspoon won't be back, but he's not really even a factor in the first place. But I don't think they're going to move on from those guys, and I can easily see them bringing back Patty Mills. So I just don't know. And Devin Vassell's still going to be there, right? So I don't know where you fit a guy like that in because I think most of the time with rookies, unless it's someone like a Davion Mitchell, right, who's going to be coming in right away and playing, I think they're going to be in the G League, just like Luka Shamanich has been, right? Like Luka Shamanich has been with this team. It'll be three years now uh, entering next season. And he's hardly played. You know, he's hardly played. Fans have really wanted him to play. Um, I've been a pretty big advocate of, you know, if this team is not going to make the playoffs, then let's see what Luka Shamanich can do, good or bad. And forget about Rudy Gay. I mean, he's not a future of this team, right? Like, just see what Luka Shamanich can do. So I'm just not sure that they're going to go after a guard, which is why I really like Kai Jones. There, I think I agree with you. I think he has some really incredible flashes. He's someone who I watched all year at Texas. And I know he hasn't been playing basketball that long, but you know, from, from what the coaches say there, that you know, he has an incredible work ethic. He's he's grown quite a bit in the last couple of years. Not, you know, not physically, but as a basketball player. I like that pick for the Spurs. And even if he doesn't become an all-star, I kind of wondering your opinion on this. Jakob Pertl, is he a starting center for, for a, a title contender in the NBA that doesn't have the guy? Um, I like him a lot. Like, I really do. I really like Jakob Pertl, but is he a starting center? He, he provides rim protection. He's a, he's a great screener. Uh, he's a pretty good short roll passer. But outside of that, I don't think he really offers you that much. So is he a starting center in the NBA? He's kind of just a guy, right? Like, to me... What that comes down to is how versatile is he defensively against the pick and roll? And I will cede to you, but my, in my viewing of Jakob Pertl, he can only play drop coverage. Like, do you think he can play at the level of the screen and really sort of attack ball handlers out on the perimeter? No, he's a guy who's going to backpedal, put his arms up, play drop coverage, try to force you into the floater. And I, you know, I still think drop coverage is effective in the playoffs. Everyone starts switching and drop goes out the window. By the way, the Lakers pretty much played drop coverage in the bubble the entire way on their way to a championship. And that was with AD, but AD also has that defensive versatility where he can pressure a ball handler out in the perimeter. If Jakob Pertl tries to do that, you know, what's going to happen. They're going to drive right around and get a layup or forced defensive rotation that could lead to a corner three or something, right? So Pirtle solid, unspectacular, for sure. Uh, I think with Kai, he would have an obvious role from day one, just make him the backup center, unless Luca is going to be the backup center. But, like, last year, wasn't it Drew Eubanks? It was Gorgie? Drew Eubanks and Gorgie Jang. Yeah, and, and you know what? Drew Eubanks got benched in the play-in game for, for missing rotations, and so Pop went to Gorgie Jang, who he had benched, before the playoffs start, before the play-in started. So, yeah, and, and I really don't think Luka Shamanich has any ability to play the five. Um, I, maybe some people might disagree with me, but he's not. Great stretch four. He, he's got a shorter wingspan. He, I think he's more of a, a perimeter-oriented 
big, if you want to call him a big, he's got really good feet. He showed some flashes as a perimeter defender, but he still gets lost on some rotations. He got benched a bunch this season, even when he got into the game, but yeah, I don't think he's really physical enough to, to play the five. Not that there's really a lot of banging around at the five anymore, but I just don't think that he, he would be playing the five much. So yeah, I think, I think they absolutely need to upgrade in that area. And I, I agree with you. I think Kai Jones could be someone who comes in as a backup center from day one and then, you know, see what he can do in the next couple of years, because I'm not sure, like, obviously they have Drew Eubanks under contract. I think they're going to bring him back. Like there's an option, a team option. So they don't have to, but I think they will bring him back. And then pop has always been a guy who, you know, he trusts his veterans and he makes the young guys earn minutes with the exception of Devin Vassell this year. Every rookie has pretty much spent all of their minutes in the G league. And, and that even went for Keldon Johnson, who was a guy who I actually thought could have helped the Spurs a little bit as a rookie. And then he played in the bubble and he played well. And he pretty much to me was a solid player. He was pretty much what he was in the bubble last year for the Spurs this year. So I don't know, maybe, maybe Popovich decides, okay, well, Kai Jones is raw. We're not going to play him. I could see that as well. I could see them throwing him right in the G league, but I think best case scenario, he comes in, he's a backup center gets to learn on the fly, which isn't something that a lot of young guys in San Antonio have gotten the opportunity to do. Yeah, so I think Kai would be a good pick. But, you know, I gave him Springer, and you were saying, well, I don't know if Springer would get the opportunity because they have a lot of guards already in the mix. And that's totally fair. Also, it should be noted, when we're talking about Springer and Davion, Davion is literally four years older, almost to the day, than Jaden Springer. Jaden Springer is the youngest prospect in this draft, I believe. There's a couple guys who are in his range in terms of 18 year olds get it's mostly international guys giddy uh, and a couple other international guys but i could see a scenario though where like all right if derozan leaves and then patty to me patty needs to transition into like the jj berea mavs role where he's just sort of like the culture guy more so than like you're really relying on him now i don't know patty might think he's got more game than that uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, so I'm not sure if Patty could really truly move the needle for another team as a bench scorer. Maybe he could, maybe he leaves. But I think that there would be a, there would be a spot, I think, for either Davion or Springer as a guard option off the bench, backing up DeJounte, backing up White, who could handle some usage. Now, if you give it to Springer, he's probably going to struggle. He's going to be 19 years old. He's going to be in way over his head but I think he's got upside. Now he might be a guy who needs to get on his second team to hit his upside. Do the Spurs really want to invest in that type of guy? So yeah, absolutely can see that. And then Davion, I don't know. I guess I like Davion a little bit more than other people in my general worldview. I think that it would not be a bad pick, but I think they would get flamed for it if they took I think they would as well. I think they would as well. But I don't think it would be a bad pick. I think there would be a scenario where it could end up working out pretty good, but I think that a lot of people would flame for that. But you know, Kai, Kai would be good. Kai would be good too. Number 12 overall. Uh he's not someone who's gonna be a high usage option, but he's a play finisher, not a play creator, right? And I do think he has a little bit of individual creation with his ability to attack closeouts. He's going to be awesome in transition. You're going to be able to use him in, you know, you could start him in a more narrow role as sort of a roller. And then he could sort of flesh out his offensive skill set as he goes on. Uh, so, yeah, I think that you've convinced me. Kai, why not? I love <laughs> Kai. That'd be a good pick for them. Now, let, let me ask you this question. So, 
I, I like Kai a lot. I think he'd be really interesting at 12 for the Spurs. There are a lot of writers and fans right now who think, well, instead of maybe going after someone like Kai, or even if you go after someone like Kai, what the Spurs need to do is they need to go grab someone like John Collins this offseason. Now, personally, I don't really think John Collins raises the Spurs ceiling all that much, especially if you're moving on from DeMar DeRozan. And I think one of my concerns with John Collins is that he plays next to someone like Trey Young. And the Spurs don't have anybody like that who has the gravity, who has the passing ability, the vision. And I, I, I kind of would be afraid that he would lose some of his effectiveness by coming to San Antonio. Now, I'd love to get your opinion on that. Do you think that's a good idea for the Spurs to pursue someone? Plus, I would almost guarantee they would have to match or offer the max, basically, because I think Atlanta would probably match that, but they would have to offer him, which would be around $28 million per year for, for someone on his, his, uh, his contract. Is, is that a smart move for the Spurs? Uh, do you think he, you know, with the Spurs developmental program, maybe they can eke out whatever untapped potential there is there? Personally, I'm not really sure I like that route. I'm still kind of on the fence, but I'm just not sure what he brings, you know, that he's, that's going to raise the Spurs ceiling. So, so what is your opinion on that? Yeah, fully agree with that analysis. I like Collins. I mean, Collins has ended up being a pretty damn good player. But if you're Atlanta, can't you, like, move off Collins and not lose all that much of your team? You know what I mean? Like, they're already paying Gallo and Bogdanovich. Trey's extension hasn't kicked in, but they're about to trade – you know, pay Trey the max. Eventually, DeAndre Hunter, they're going to need to pay him. Probably. He looks like a long-term piece. So if you're Atlanta, I kind of feel like you could lose Collins and it's sort of whatever. Like, obviously, you don't want to lose a good young player for nothing. But I don't think there's any way that they would match a max or near max contract. I might be totally wrong. And also, we could be talking about them in the conference finals tomorrow yeah for real. how insane is that it really just puts how bad the bulls rebuild has been in perspective because they started at the <laughs> same time and now atlanta's in the conference finals and the bulls are hopeless uh but i i don't know i think that uh i lost my train of thought here help me get back on track oh john collins so yeah i sort of agree with you that he probably doesn't move the needle too much. I think that it's likely Collins' next contract is possibly an overpay. He is really good. Fully agree with your analysis that he's someone who isn't going to create his own offense. He needs to be set up. The Spurs don't have that dynamic creator on the roster. So what does giving John Collins $110 million really do for you? You're just going to be giving him the ball to isolate on the wing or in the post in having him try to jab step his way into 24 points a game, you know, per night. And yeah, I think that, you know, if you, if DeJounte made a big leap or if white made a big leap, then Collins makes more sense possibly because yeah. In addition to not really having a young play creator, they don't really have any play finishers either. Right. So Collins could be that type of guy. I could really go either way on that. I would, I mean, so coming into this conversation, I didn't really have any rigid views on how the Spurs should go about approaching the offseason or the future of the roster. After this conversation, it seems pretty obvious that the Spurs are stuck in purgatory as long as Pop is the head coach because they 
should rebuild, but they don't want to rebuild with pop. So that is sort of the sticking point of where the Spurs go in the future. It just sort of feels like they're in a holding pattern until they can hire another coach, tear it down. You're going to be bad for a few years, which the Spurs have never been bad for a few years, even when they got Duncan famously right in the finals right away again. Missed yeah. playoffs one year, famously back into contention. You guys have been spoiled, but I'm a Bulls <laughs> fan, so I was spoiled too. So I know what that's like. The come down is hard, let me tell you. And also, you know, Kawhi and Jimmy. There's a lot of parallels here. You know, you lose Kawhi, you lose Jimmy, and now it's like, well, we suck. Now what do we do? Uh, a lot of parallels as I talk this out. It does seem like the Spurs should choose a direction. And signing John Collins, I don't know. You can make an argument for it that if White – like maybe this helps white level up giving him a dynamic play finisher. Like I don't have the synergy numbers in front of me. How good was white as a pick and roll ball handler? Uh, I don't have that in front of me, but I do know not this season, but the previous season he was tops in uh points per possession before the bubble, before they got to the bubble. So possibly really good as a pick and roll ball handler, or would you say could be, could be good in a better situation? Derek White is a, a very good pick and roll ball handler. I think he can set guys up, but I don't know. I just don't know because they haven't had a play finisher in so long. I think right. honest, if I'm being honest with you, I think the last time they really had someone who could finish above the rim as like sort of a lob target was Dwayne Deadman back when they, wow. <laughs> back when they had um, still had Kawhi. Since then we've been running with Yaka Pertle and Pau Gasol. I mean, <laughs> Pau Gasol is long gone. Yaka Pertle's out there. Drew Eubanks occasionally catches a lob when he's off the bench. Gorgie Jing is not that guy. So it, I, I really don't know. I think it would be an interesting experiment. Like, let's see how it works. But I also think it's one of those things that, that, that could end up, well, you're back in the sixth, seventh, eighth seed again. And you're just drafting in the 20s, hoping that someone's the next Tony or the next Manu or the next Kawhi. And I just don't think that that's a great bet. I don't think it's a great bet to make. Because even if you think of it that way, like, oh, they found Kawhi, they found Tony, they found Manu. That's like three picks out of what, like 25 picks. That's a low percentage. And then that's out of all of the NBA, like hundreds and hundreds of picks. I think if you're betting on someone to become that, it's not a good bet. It just really yeah, isn't a good bet. but conversely, the Kings and the Magic have been picking in the top 10 yeah. and the top five for a decade, <laughs> and they still suck. So there's, I, from the, and the Bulls are, you know, similar spot, obviously. Uh, yeah, you want them to get the high draft pick to find the star to build her. But that is also truly no guarantee that Absolutely. you're going to find. Basically, what you want as a fan is for the team to get a pick that can land a player that is so obviously a superstar that you can't mess it up. Yeah. That's what you're hoping for. And that's Otherwise, rare. you get the fourth pick and you take, you know, well, I, I like Patrick Williams, but he sort of seems like another guy where it's like, he's definitely not a no-brainer star. Maybe he can be good. I don't know. He played a lot of minutes as a rookie, but like he was the fourth pick in the draft. He's not John Morant. He's not Trey Young. He's not Zion or Luca, certainly, or Jason Tatum. Sometimes that fourth pick gets you Josh Jackson, who's almost flamed out of the league. He had a pretty good year with the Pistons this year, actually. Uh, but yeah, dude, there's no guarantees either way. So on one scenario, the one path would be sign John Collins juice up Derek White. Let's see what Derek White can do if he can stay healthy with this being a Derek White-led team. 
sign John Collins with the 12th pick, take Davion or I hope not Kispert, but maybe Kispert or uh, Kai and try to sign some shooting, try to get some semblance of spacing on the team since they have none. Just subtracting DeRozan will be addition by subtraction in that sense. DeRozan almost has to play on the ball because he can't space the floor. And that could be a way to do it. And maybe they're the sixth seed. And maybe that's unsatisfying for the fan base. And I can absolutely see that. And they need to tear it down eventually. But don't you think you could trade Collins too? Like if you sign Collins... I mean, maybe not if he's making 28 a year. 28 is really high if that's his max. But if you could get him four years, 100, five years, well, they couldn't give him five. So it'd be four years, something like that. I feel like you could move off him if you really wanted to tank. And then Oh, yeah. I mean, like John Wall, he was traded, right? Like John Wall's making 40 something million a year. He was traded. So I kind of think there's no such thing as an untradeable contract at that point. Somebody is going to you know, they'll, they'll, they'll trade you, even if it's not necessarily the best package for you. But yeah, I mean, I think it would be interesting. You know, I'm, I, like I said, I'm on the fence. I'm not really sure. Is that a a good thing for them to do that? Is it, is it ill-advised for them to pursue that? But I think it would be at the very least, like if they got back into the playoffs, I know that's what a lot of fans are missing, right? This is the first time in franchise history that the Spurs haven't been in the playoffs for two straight years. So they're missing the playoffs. They're missing. I mean, even the plan, I mean, fans were hyped for the plan because it was a a shot at the playoffs. And I think if you get in the playoffs, you build a little bit of excitement around the team and you know, who knows? I I do tend to be sort of more like realistic and maybe a a bit pessimistic when it comes to, you know, is DeJounte or Derek or Keldon or Lonnie going to be, you know, an all-star or, someone who can really impact winning for this team. And maybe they do, you know, I hope, I hope they prove me wrong. Maybe adding Collins to that and everybody takes sort of a, a small leap and maybe someone takes one big leap, you know, they're, they're suddenly look a lot different. Their future looks brighter, but I don't, I don't know, but I do think it would be more exciting. I think it would be more exciting at the very least for the Spurs. And, you know, I want to, I want to ask you about the draft one more time about the first round. So, you know, they don't have a very good chance at, at moving into the top four. We, we know this, and that's very unlikely. But if they do move into the top four, and let's assume it's just four, you know, taking Mobley and Green and, and Kate off the board, at four, is there any guy who can be that guy who they build around? Yeah, so I guess, like, you know, Suggs or Green, to me, seems like a coin flip. I like both those guys. I don't know if you have a preference on either one. They're totally different type of players. Green is a pure shooting, like he's like a classic shooting guard to the sense that like, I don't really think the league has gone so heliocentric based around one guy. I don't think Green can be that type of player where he's going to be making high level decisions time and time again down the floor, but he's just a bucket and he could be a guy who just could potentially one day average 25 to 30 points a game on relatively efficient scoring and he's going to score from all three levels. Suggs on the other hand, my view of Suggs is sort of like he's a supercharged overqualified secondary guard. Like, I don't know if he can really be the driving force either, but uh, this is going to be a weird comparison because their games really aren't similar, but he kind of reminds me a little bit. I'm going to get dragged for this maybe because maybe <laughs> this is stupid, but he sort of reminds me a little bit of Tyrese Halliburton where Halliburton, I was 
not super high on him because I thought this guy can't drive offense. But what happened to Halliburton? He finds himself next to De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox can drive offense. And he's just really good at basically every skill that you need to be a good complimentary guard. He can play on the ball or off the ball. He can shoot off the dribble or off movement, really good in transition. Uh, And Suggs obviously is a superior athlete, a superior transition attacker than uh, someone like Halliburton. He's just stronger, more of a power athlete. So Suggs would be, Suggs would be a good piece, but I would still think like they probably need another guy next to Suggs to really make Suggs pop. Uh, So that would be my take on Suggs, but like, I don't know, like if Derek White levels up a little bit, if you can finally stay healthy, Suggs and Derek White could be a pretty, and DeJounte, that could be a pretty nasty combo. So I don't know. So do you favor green over Suggs? I like green over Suggs for the reasons that you listed. I think he can be sort of like that microwave score guy who can get you, you know, at his peak, you know, 20, 25, something like that and be relatively efficient. And I don't think the Spurs really have anybody on the roster right now who can really get their own bucket. I think Derek White can to a certain, like I I keep saying to a certain extent, because I don't really know what, I I don't think anybody in San Antonio really knows exactly what each of these young guys are capable of because they've been so limited in their role. And maybe that's because they're not capable of it or, Maybe that's just because that's the way Pop has sort of schemed the offense. Um, it's probably somewhere in between. But I think it would be really nice to have somebody like that. I'm also interested in Jonathan Kaminga. You know, he's not a guy who I think is going to come in, obviously, right away and and be that guy who drives the offense or anything like that. But I think he has a lot of upside. He's very, very, very young. Um but then again, he's one of those guys like, okay, he's so young. What does he add to this team? Is he going to break through in terms of minutes? Uh, you would hope so, like right? If if he if you pick him fourth, you would hope he would be getting minutes over Keldon Johnson because I think Keldon Johnson preferably won't be playing the four. He played a lot of four this year, and I think preferably Keldon would not be playing the four for the average NBA team. But who knows? Uh, I'd love to get your opinion on Kaminga a little bit because he's someone who I watched in the G League, and I thought he had some really, really tantalizing flashes, but at the same time, he also looked very, very raw. There's no way I would take Kaminga over Suggs. No way. And I could be totally wrong about that. Kaminga might end up being Jalen Brown 2.0. And this could look very stupid in a few years. But Suggs, I don't know. Suggs kind of has the it factor, as silly as it sounds. And if Suggs sort of needs a more stable environment, I think. He was almost like, because Gonzaga was such a great setup for him, it almost leads to more questions. Like, what can this guy do if he doesn't have the perfect environment to thrive in? Uh, And I don't know if Suggs is going to be a perennial all-star, and I don't know if he's going to be someone who could be your lead engine. But I would take him over Kaminga. To me, he's just a gamer, and he brings such a solid amount of skill across every area that I think he, if nothing else, is going to be a fringe all-star, probably. And to Kaminga, I feel like Kaminga, like, who knows? Kaminga was pretty brutal in the G League. His numbers were like, didn't he have like 48% true shooting or something? And it wasn't good, I, yeah. I think he shot under 40% from the field, under 25% from three, and under 65% from the foul line. So his general lack of touch, I think, is the biggest thing. Like, does this guy have any touch with the ball? That's a big question mark. Uh, where he's good is just going downhill. He's just a power athlete who goes downhill. And like, when you just look at him, 
without seeing any numbers. Just like, let's say a straight eye test. If you were to watch him play, you'd probably be like, this is the type of guy everyone wants in the league. A big athletic forward who, you know, can put pressure on the rim and can, you know, you can improve your shooting. Spurs fans know that as well as any fan base, right? With Kawhi. So he, Kaminga's interesting. I wouldn't even take Kaminga fifth. To me, he's just way too much of a wild card. Again, could be totally wrong. Uh, and I implore your listeners to, if you have the disposable income, throw a couple bucks to PD Webb, who does really Absolutely. good writing. He just did a piece on Kaminga that was excellent. I'm actually joining his uh, Twitch stream to talk about Evan Mobley on Wednesday. So if you're interested in Mobley, Mobley would be an incredible pick for <laughs> if they could get up to I agree. Two. Mobley is a stud. Uh, we'll know the lottery results by then too. So we're talking Mobley on Wednesday, but uh, PD did a great thing on Kaminga. Kaminga's interesting. I get it. Lottery ticket. You need a high upside guy. I just don't know if that's a guy I'd be willing to, to bet on, but what do I know? And, and before I let you go here, so obviously these, the guys who we're going to talk about right now are not, you know, they're not lottery guys. Some of them aren't even necessarily guys who would be on most people's draft boards, but when you look at the Spurs, so the Spurs actually have started bringing in guys to work out so far. What I can confirm is that they've brought in Joe Wieskamp, Jordan Hall, and LJ Figueroa from Oregon. Are any of those guys people who would interest you in the second round? And what is their interest in those specific kind of guys maybe tell you about what the Spurs are looking to do with this roster? Well, I think like if we're talking about them taking Kispert with the 12th pick, the idea would be let's find someone who could give you 90% or 85% or 80% of what Corey Kisper could give you. And you don't need to invest the number 12 overall pick. So I like Wieskamp. Yeah. I think Wieskamp's dope. Get him in the second round. That would be a nice pick. He can shoot. I think that obviously he was playing off Luca Garza throughout his career at Iowa but I think he could maybe level up a little bit. The question is going to be, can he create his own shot in the league against bigger, stronger, more athletic defenders? And then just how versatile is his shooting going to be? I don't have his shooting numbers in front of me. I would say by reputation, he's a good shooter. I don't know if he's an elite shooter, but again, maybe he can give you a high percentage of what Kisper could possibly provide. So uh, yeah, I like, we. that's the name that jumps out. I would take him. In the yeah, second round, no, I, sure. I, I like Wieskamp as well. Now, do, are you familiar with Jordan Hall at all? He's a guy who I'm actually hearing he he's gaining a little bit of buzz and he's considering staying in the draft instead of actually going to Texas A&M after transferring from St. Joseph's. Yeah, I don't know a ton about him. I know he's a he's a guard, right? Yeah, he's like sort of a point forward, six, eight. Six, eight I think he, forward, he averaged yeah. about 12 points per game, five of rebounds five assists i i watched a little bit of him i was intrigued i watched him when he played kansas uh and in, in some of their preseason games he stood out a little bit but i also think he's sort of a guy who i personally if i was in the front office i probably wouldn't take him in the second round he's someone who i also think probably should just go back to school he could probably increase his uh his stock by going back to school playing at texas a&m uh, in a better conference than st joe's was in so I think those are the guys those are the guys you want to draft like if a guy is going to be the number 15 overall pick next year, but he's going to be the number 40 overall pick this year, it's like Boknight. Like someone could have easily promised Boknight last year 
it was very easy to see Bognet coming. It was like, well, if this guy is a big year, he could be a lottery pick. And then he scores 40 in his fourth game of the season against Creighton. And it's like, well, now he's a lottery pick. But like GMs are just risk averse. So they want to see the proof in the pudding. But if you can draft him a year early, get him in the second round, that's the perfect second round pick to me. I mean, another guy who would fit that scenario would be JT Thor, who was a wing from Auburn. Like, yeah, take that guy. That guy goes back to school. He could easily be a lottery pick. So, I mean, bet on your development, bet on your infrastructure, and take a guy like that. So a couple of things to think about. Wieskamp, I think, would be less of a developmental prospect, really, and more of just like maybe he could give us something. He could fill a need, and then we don't need to draft Kispert at 12. So I think that would kind of be their thought process there. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And, and one more thing I want to kind of cover before we – move on from the draft completely. We talked about Mobley for a second, and we'll go ahead and end on this topic of Mobley. So by some miracle, the Spurs get Mobley with the second pick. They, they move into the second pick. What do, exactly would that do for the trajectory of this franchise? Because I, I know a lot of people watch, uh, you know, they watch draft coverage. A lot of Spurs are, fans are interested in draft coverage, but they don't actually really know that much about Evan Mobley and what he brings to the table. And a lot of them say, okay, he's a, he's a great athlete. He's pretty thin. He can shoot a little bit, but what does he bring to the table long-term and how does he impact a franchise like the Spurs trajectory? Yeah. Whoever gets him, it's going to totally change the trajectory of the franchise. I love Mobley. I think Mobley basically checks every box for a big man, but he's very much sort of a new age big man. So like you're, dad or uncle who grew up watching the NBA in the eighties and nineties might be like, he doesn't have any post moves, (laughs) but his game is so much more than that. And like, especially for a team like the Spurs that needs creation. I kind of think that Mobley could sort of take on some point guard like duties, if not initiating the offense, like obviously so much of the game now, and you need a guard who's dynamic enough to trap. But (laughs) if you have a guard who's dynamic enough to trap, then you need, he's going to pitch the ball to the big man. The big man is going to be making a decision four on three sort of mini break in the half court. Of course, this is the role that Draymond Green mastered to become one of the better players in the NBA. I think Mobley is uniquely good as a passer and is reading the floor, making decisions in the half court that he could be someone who could soak up usage through his passing. I think that uh defensively i mean you can make the case that he is a truly elite defensive prospect is a big i think that when we talked about versatile pick and roll coverage and how Pirtle isn't versatile you can only play drop coverage mobley can play drop mobley can trap you out on the perimeter mobley can switch super quick feet super long arms i do think that uh you know, there again, there's such a high learning curve for a defensive big man. And a lot of it is like, too, you, you got to really keep your head on a swivel and you got to be able to like, you know, quickly recognize a play, rotate to the play. I think Mobley does have some trouble with that for all of his physical ability. Uh, sometimes, you know, he'll get back cut by guys or someone will like, you know, he'll lose track of someone in the paint and it'll be an easy bucket. But I look at Mobley and I just think stud defensively gives you so much versatility. Offensively, he's not going to be a post scorer. And that is going to be hard for people to reckon with who 
uh, have grown up on a certain style of basketball, but I think he's going to be an above average offensive player, no doubt. So ideally he's an elite defensive player and above average offensive player early in his career. He can be a lob threat. I think that, you know, he could totally, his biggest issue is that he doesn't have an aggressive scoring mindset. Like a lot of times he left you wanting more because he was so damn good, but he still wasn't super dominating in terms of his scoring ability. So he does leave you wanting a little bit more. I could see people thinking that he's kind of underwhelming as a rookie, but I really believe Evan Mobley is going to be a stud and whoever gets him, whether it's the Spurs, whether it's anyone, it's going to really unlock a lot of different team building avenues for them. So I love Mobley. I think that uh, if you can sort of detach your brain from what you think a big man is supposed to be, you will see that Evan Mobley has a lot of unique gifts that can help you win basketball games. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much in the same boat as you there. I just wanted to get your take on it. I think that it would be spectacular if the Spurs ended up getting him with the second pick. I think that would just be fantastic for their trajectory in the next couple of years. And as we wind down here, do you have any other final Spurs thoughts or, or can we go ahead and start plugging your stuff? Because you're doing a lot of awesome stuff at SB Nation. Yeah, I think that... Uh... Obviously, you're doing a terrific job on this podcast. I have noticed your work over the last year or so, and I feel like SB Nation should be lucky to have someone like you. Uh, This podcast seems like it's going to be awesome, so thanks for having me on. Spurs are in an interesting spot. I think you sort of convinced me that they need to pick a lane and uh, that it's tough when they have Popovich because the best long-term interest of the franchise might be at odds with the best short-term interest of the franchise, and that puts them in a uniquely particular spot. So uh, I appreciate you sort of walking me through that. And I think that they're really, they're just an interesting team always. Uh, And especially at this point in their, in their history, post Kawhi, uh, now fully removed from the championship years. And it's like, how do we get back? The fan base is thirsty for it. It's a passionate fan base. They're used to winning. They're spoiled a little bit, but that's okay. (laughs) And yeah, they're in a unique spot. So I appreciate you having me on. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing what the Spurs are going to do in your continued coverage of the team. Awesome. And thanks for joining me. And, and I'll give you a second here. So where can everybody find you on social media? And also where can they find your podcast, any of your writing? Yeah. So all my writings at SBNation.com. I mostly write about the NBA playoffs, college hoops, the draft, recruiting. It's the fut- My role has changed there a bit over the years. Uh, but yeah, um, I'm still doing my thing. So you can find, you know, there'll be a mock draft as soon as the lottery results get announced. I'm going to try to publish that. I already pre-wrote about 4,000 words of it. I'm trying to do long blurbs on every player just to use it to get my thoughts out on each guy, basically, instead of doing individual pieces. And I will do some individual pieces, but, uh, the mock's going to be really long. So you can check that out, I guess. And otherwise, everything on SBNation.com, writing about the playoffs pretty much every night. Uh, And my podcast is Cash Considerations. It's on the Chicago Bulls. They don't like us because we're critical of the franchise and we named the podcast Cash Considerations because they keep trading draft picks and players for cash, despite being a total cash cow and one of the most profitable franchises in the league. But uh, it's a new day for the Bulls. They fired Garpax, their GM, their co tandem GM and they have Arturis Karnaschovas in there now. The Bulls are kind of starting starting from a fresh page, which is nice. They made the Vucevic trade. So if you want to listen to us uh, talk about the Bulls, 
cash considerations. We're going to be doing a draft episode on Monday with one of my favorite draft analysts, Brian Schroeder, who used to be on Twitter at Cosmos. And now I think it's like Brian J draft or something. I don't think that's his legal name, but uh, check out that episode if you want to. I think he's joining us Monday night and otherwise SBNation.com for everything. Again, thanks to Ricky for joining me for the debut episode of Alamo City Limits and a huge shout out to everyone who tuned in as well. And for those of you listening at home, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to keep up with everything our wonderful staff at Pounding the Rock is doing this offseason. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.